Hello, everyone. My name is Ahmed Abdullah, and I'm the CEO of Digifob. My background by trade is as a health economist. Initially supporting the National Health Service in the UK decide what high-cost therapies they could pay for with their limited budget, uh, and then moving into the pharmaceutical industry and helping pharmaceutical organizations uh, gain access with various healthcare technologies into global markets. Um, <clears throat> today, I'm going to be talking about pioneering business, new business models with value-based healthcare and where technologies like blockchain can come into that. Um, and so to lay the, the groundwork uh, for this uh, discussion or, or talk today, we can let's reflect on the current state of healthcare. Um, the United States spends nearly 20% of its GDP on healthcare, um, around or over $4 trillion annually. To put that into perspective, that's over $12,000 per person per year. And this expenditure far outpaces other high-income nations. Yet the U.S. consistently ranks poorly on health outcomes, uh, with lower life expectancies, uh, high mortality rates, and, and chronic disease rates compared to peer countries, uh, especially developed Western economies. Um, and clearly there, are, clearly there are deep systemic issues within the U.S. healthcare system. Um, but the U.S. is not alone. Uh, costs continue to skyrocket within healthcare while amplifying disparities in access and outcomes. And much of this traces back to the long-standing fee-for-service model we've seen in healthcare. This is where providers are based on volume of services and procedures performed rather than overall value delivered. And fee-for-service is, is, is not just you know, based on, on service provision, it's also for the actual purchasing of healthcare technologies, whether it's drugs, devices, and equipment. Um, and this misalignment incentivizes uh, providers and manufacturers to, uh, to maximize services and maximize sales and revenues over what is often clinically necessary or cost-effective or most beneficial to health systems. Um, Fee-for-service approaches also disincentivize coordination between different care settings. It essentially doesn't incentivize healthcare stakeholders to work together to get the best possible outcome. And the result is ex extraordinary waste and inefficiency. Uh, and you're looking at uh, a potential 25 to 35% of, of overspend that can be saved. This could be due to duplicative tests, um, avoided readmissions, unnecessary procedures, um, and wasted costs uh, when 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 treatments are provided and they don't provide value uh, to the to the beneficiary, which is the patient. And patients get caught up in a fragmented, expensive system that doesn't adequately uh, adequately reward improving health health. Um, <clears throat> So against this backdrop, value-based healthcare has gained significant momentum as a better model for healthcare delivery and financing. Um, but before we dive into value-based healthcare, let's let's you know ground ourselves in some, a few economic theories that are foundational to understanding this concept. First is this, the theory of value itself. Value refers to the quality of outcomes achieved relieved, uh, relative to the costs incurred. 
maximizing value means getting the best outcomes at the lowest costs. Uh, in healthcare, outcomes refer to measures like clinical results, functionality, and quality of life. Um, costs include factors like price of technologies, the prices of services, overheads, uh, uh, and, 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 and more, really. Um, so value theory contends that incentivizing providers around value will bend cost curves while, while improving access to high-quality care. Uh, it brings market principles like competition and consumer choice and consumer preference into healthcare delivery to drive value. Um, next is really the principal agent theory. This example is how in this ex well examines how interests between two parties can be misaligned in a transaction. In healthcare, fee-for-service creates a principal agent problem between providers and patients. Um, providers are incentivized to increase services because they're going to get more revenue uh, rather than prioritizing the actual needs of the patient. And value-based healthcare is, is one of the key ways to try and realign these interests. Uh, and, and another one is the economies of scale where consolidation and specialization allow reduced costs per unit. Centralizing care delivery for specific conditions enables optimized care processes and multidisciplinary expertise. And we'll see examples of this later with centers of excellence. Uh, but now that we have the, the economic theory background of it, you know, let's discuss the history and definitions of value-based care models. Um, the concept of value-based reimbursement first emerged in the late 1990s from Harvard researchers, actually, who made the business case for aligning payments with value. Um, and this means structuring reimbursements or payments around outcomes rather than the volume of, of services performed. Um, and really taking examples from other industries. Uh, let's take a very simple example. You know, when you go to a visit a, a mechanic and he tries to fix your car, and you know, if they can't fix your vehicle, they typically won't be expected to pay for that repair. Whereas in healthcare, we 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 have that type of approach. Um, so value-based healthcare aims to improve the patient experience along with population health while reducing unnecessary costs. And it does so by shifting financial uh, incentives. Um, sharing risk away from being fully on the patient and increasing accountability to providers. And rather than healthcare providers or, or manufacturers being paid for each test or procedure or healthcare technology that they part with, um, compensation is then tied to the overall health of patients. And uh, there are a few types of value-based reimbursement models. Um, one of them is capitation. Uh, so providers receive a set payment per patient for all the care services needed. Uh, and providers take on the financial risk of, of keeping patients healthy while managing costs. Uh, bundled payments can and cover an entire episode of care for all services needed for a health condition. And payments are, are premised on expected costs for clinically defined episodes. Um, providers take on the risk for keeping costs below the bundled rate. And for bundled payments, there can be bonuses or penalties uh, as well around these, these, these you know, payment bundles. Um, <clears throat> in shared savings arrangements as well, 
providers can share in a percentage of the net savings achieved through improved quality and efficiency versus a historical benchmark, for example. And payers and providers align around the goals of reduced reducing wasted spend um, while improving standards, essentially. Um, and, you know, an example of, for example, you know, bundled payments, which is becoming quite popular, could be around, you know, diabetes. Um, you know, payers would pay for healthcare organizations to maintain, you know, HbA1c levels below a specific threshold. And then it's up to the providers to do what they can, provide whatever services they want to provide to maintain the patient health state below that specific threshold, especially that blood sugar level. Um, and this, you know, incentivizes the providers to try and use the best and most efficient methodologies to provide this care. Um, and within some of these models uh, are further variations. You also have accountable care organizations where you have a group of providers to coordinate care for a defined population uh, under specific payment arrangements. And providers take accountability for the total costs and outcomes, and they're then paid based on specific target thresholds or KPIs. Um, and we see this in, in, in the majority of of you know, large majority of developed health systems, um, especially if you have uh, a a national healthcare fund uh, that then covers uh, trusts or organizations within a region to provide coverage for citizens. Um, so now we have, you know, a, a grasp of, of value-based care principles and models. You know, let's look at some real-world examples um, a prominent example of value-based healthcare in action in the U.S. is the is the alternative quality contract developed in Massachusetts. This uh, applied a a budget capitation model with incentives for quality, um, and health outcomes actually improved significantly, while costs were sixteen percent below the state average. Uh, the CMS Innovation Center has pi piloted a range of value-based programs within Medicare. And accountable care organizations have yielded $4 billion in savings in under a decade, along with higher quality care. Uh, bundled payments for procedures like joint replacements have also demonstrated reduced expenditures. Um, we, we see private insurers like Aetna have also partnered directly with providers on value-based contracts. Um, and, and the partnerships improved outcomes for conditions like diabetes while lowering costs, you know, around 4, 15 to 20%. And some of this has actually included, you know, pay for performance procurement models on, on, on pharmaceuticals. Uh, and, and that's an area that is, I think is going to be uh, increasing in, in the future. Um, Kaiser Permanente is another pioneer, really integrating insurance and care delivery around capitation models. They've been able to consistently deliver high quality care at 10 to 15% below industry average costs. Um, looking beyond the US, European nations like Sweden and Germany have elements of global capitation budgets in their universal coverage models. And their per capita costs are 40 to 60% below uh, uh, that in the USA, while deliver delivering much better health population outcomes. Um, 
So this suggests that the U.S. has much room for improvement. However, we do need to take account um, the the increased amount of of let's say healthcare or let's say stakeholders that are involved in the healthcare reimbursement process that we don't have in Europe and the rest of the world. Um, but value-based healthcare alone can provide that that significant improvement that we all want to see. Um, so now let's examine value-based procurement and value-based contracting. Um, you know, so healthcare systems are leveraging their purchasing power to obtain better value via flexible performance-based contracts. Value-based procurement focuses on optimizing specific high-cost spend uh, for specific conditions. Uh, and, and really focus on the actual purchasing aspect and not just looking at the very idealistic uh, uh, approach to, to value-based healthcare, which is focusing on long-term improvements on, on quality of life. There are very much situations where healthcare organizations can save money almost immediately um, at, at considerable levels in, in purchasing whether it's drugs, devices, equipment, or they're outsourcing services, and, and linking this directly to uh, performance. Um, so this could be for high-cost pharmaceuticals and oncology or, or Crohn's disease, and linking uh, the pricing of these uh, you know, technologies to clinical outcomes, measuring that and setting up a, an agreement with manufacturers in this way. Um, an example of, of of what can be done for uh, equipment could be, for example, you know, uh, hospital beds and mattresses linked to the occurrence of, of pressure ulcers. You can have contracts even with cleaning services within the hospital and linking those to, you know, the rate of hospital-borne infections. Um, and, you know, with prices adjusted based on, you know, actual real-world outcomes. And this creates incentives for, uh, you know, manufacturers and suppliers um, to actually try and provide the best possible products because then they get, you know, they get the access uh, to these markets and they, and they actually capture these, these, these contracts. Um, and at the same time, it, it ensures that healthcare organizations and health systems are, are getting the best possible uh, uh, services and best bang for their buck, essentially. Um, so <clears throat> what we also have is uh, in pharmaceuticals outcomes based contracts as I mentioned that links drugs to real world effectiveness um, however with this there are specific um, mechanisms or requirements that need to be taken into account and from country to country uh, the way these uh let's say contracts are structured, um, they have to differ slightly. In some countries, you can't just have, uh, you know, pricing tiers or discounts due to reference pricing requirements or regional requirements. Um, in some situations, you know, let's say pharmaceutical companies or manufacturers need to provide replacement vials or, 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 or free doses um, as replacements rather than working on a pricing structure. Um, however, the theory behind it is the same. You know, whenever a patient has, let's say, uh, a serious adverse event, 
um, typically grade three and above, or the patient outcome, uh, you know, in terms of clinical outcome, hasn't been great. Then there's there's you know some sort of uh, uh, rebate or or discount, um, or if there's some sort of uh, inter in a uh, patient does not tolerate this treatment, then again, they'll replace the vial or they'll do some sort of discount or the hospital doesn't pay at all. Um, so there's many ways to actually structure it, but it's all about restructuring the way you know payments are made to look at outcomes and value rather than quality. Um, so if we talk about now you know the technology that can help us do this, um, there are several emerging technologies that can act as as pivotal enablers for value-based healthcare models. Um, and one of them is, you know, uh, one of the key focuses of, of this of this Com2x, you know, uh, event and conference, and that that's blockchain. And blockchain's a a, a cryptographically secure distributed ledger um, that can support things like value-based contracting. Um, between healthcare organization as, as, as a trusted single vision of the truth around uh, uh, data quality and auditing and interactions with, with this data that informs value-based uh, healthcare uh, procurement and, and, and um, essentially uh, making sure that the data that some of these value decisions are made is, is, is trustworthy and hasn't been tampered with. Um, and then we also have smart contracting, which can enable automated incentive distributions and tracking of performances. Uh, we have predictive analytics as well to look at large data sets to identify patients uh, uh, or, or groups at risk of deteriorations or complications or to, or to understand and identify who would respond well to specific therapies to make the, to then make sure that as a provider, um, or even as a manufacturer who's selling into a specific market that you have a patient group that you are targeting that you know will work or, or benefit from you know receiving these therapies and there is much less risk of actually you know losing out on 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 potential revenue streams by targeting patients that won't benefit much from what you're providing um other technologies that are, are also interesting are now, you know, clinical decision support tools that can support physicians with personalized guidance or diagnostics um, to optimize care provision. And, and again, this is something that manufacturers and service providers can use to make sure that the markets and, and the patient groups they are targeting um, are, are going to be responders. Um, so again, it's not just about the providers targeting and and generating savings and optimizing value. Um, it's also about access strategies for some of these manufacturers or vendors or, or service providers. Um, <clears throat> so if we now look at you know uh, you know innovative care delivery models um, and and how this can you know improve. You know value within healthcare. Uh, a really interesting approach that we've seen in the last you know fifth, 10 15 years is, is looking at centers of excellence. And centers of excellence really consolidate care for specific conditions under one roof to try and drive consistent uh, execution and best practices. 
and and where specialized teams fine-tune processes to minimize errors and, and variants. And this is where patients can benefit from co coordinated expertise and by focusing on, on narrow conditions, centers of excellence really help achieve economies of scales, but also improve outcomes. Uh, and early implementations have shown, you know, quite tremendous results. Uh, MD Anderson's Proton Therapy Center has 10-year survival rates, you know, up to 20% higher than peers for prostate cancer. Uh, you have you have guessing as proven care centers with reduced readmission rates by 15% uh, and length of stay by 10% uh, for cardiac surgeries. Um, and you have other programs for surgery, different types of surgeries that can show faster recovery, uh, fewer complications and, and dramatically uh, lower revisions. Um, so this is really interesting, you know, by focusing on value and focusing on improved outcomes, um, these organizations have actually shown that, you know, the spend per patient can actually be reduced and, and outcomes can actually be improved. Um, so that's that's a really interesting way of doing things. We also see that population health management is another uh, value-based model gaining tractions. Um, and this is where providers have used advanced analytics to segment patients into risk-based groups and different intervention packages can then be uh, uh, defined uh, and, and, and targeted to patients based on need. Um, and so this is uh, something that I think has been really, really intriguing, actually. Um, you know, some patients require different interventions and, and it also helps you focus on healthcare inequalities for patients with different, bene uh, 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 let's say, demographic or, or socio-economic backgrounds. Um, some require outreach and education at earlier stages of disease or to prevent disease. Um, and uh, it's it's all about proactively addressing some of the needs of different healthcare populations to try and lower costs over time, and 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 typically you're going to need to you know provide some sort of combination of all of these things to get to a, a more optimized spend for for health systems. Um, um, other things as well that are all interesting are also. Some of these early uh, health intervention programs have reduced emergency healthcare visits and hospitalizations, and for large populations like we see in the U.S., this can you know yield millions in savings from averted acute care and improving outcomes. Um, and you know the main thing is that anything that's done within healthcare from now on is 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 focused on value and. And all about incentivizing value, especially around uh, incentivization uh, for 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 costs and reimbursement and revenue generation. This is probably the only way we can really try and control healthcare costs, especially within you know um, a capitalist world. I think we all need to be realistic that healthcare is is a business as well, and unless there. Are, uh, specific guidelines or thresholds that healthcare organizations can work upon and, and can mandate providers uh, of services um, that they work with, manufacturers uh, of healthcare technologies, 
um, then it, you know, unless we do this, it's going to be difficult to actually unlock the full potential of 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 generating value and reducing outcomes. And you know, no single solution is the answer. Uh, healthcare organizations need to be flexible to take on financial risk in exchange for flexibility and incentives. Um, whether that's in terms of them purchasing directly from manufacturers or if it's about them getting paid from payers. Um, and this, you know, applies to not just, you know, very, um, you know, uh, healthcare, let's say healthcare models that are focused on private healthcare like we have in the U.S., um, <clears throat> to those that are very much single payer systems, like we have in the UK and France, and 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 in many countries in Europe, um, so policymakers really need to help, you know, the healthcare system develop frameworks that encourage competition, incentivize innovation, but also create some sort of standardization around how this is all going to be implemented. Um, I think government payers will will play a key role in catalyzing you know these new reimbursement approaches patients must also be empowered and educated to make some of these value conscious decisions around their care options we have some guidance now in, in the uk within the national health service around you know a push for shared decision making um, and everything requires a lot of persistence and collaboration between healthcare stakeholders um you know, from 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 start to finish, and it's not just about focusing on, you know, high cost therapies and high cost interventions and saving there. But you know, there are large savings that can also be provided around uh, at the population level just by educational pro programs. Um, but this is where it's really important to start. You know, focusing a lot more on the economics and the value. Uh, uh, that these interventions can generate. And that, that means, you know, a large focus on modeling informed by high quality data, uh, some of it that can be collected and shared using conventional means, and some of it can be used, you know, uh, gathered and shared using, you know, new and advanced technologies like blockchain. Um, but by focusing on the economics and incentives and aligning this with, with health, I think that's going to be really important to to build uh, better functioning healthcare systems in the future. Um, obviously, this this a lot of this you know conference is is is, is focusing around around blockchain and and the technology and and the benefits that this can provide. I think it's it's really interesting. Um, how this technology can really help us, but obviously it needs to be utilized in the right way. Um, but in terms of creating a foundation, I think it's it's really interesting the fact that you know once you have tamper-proof data, um, and once data is collected and stored, um, you can make decisions without worrying about you know whether this data has been trustworthy or tampered with at all so it helps us create this foundation for some of these you know health economic decisions um blockchain can really help us with the interoperability aspects as well uh, around this data making sure that each stakeholder um, can access the right data and and there's the right permissions uh, uh, being able to be applied to some of this data sharing um <clears throat> 
especially uh, scalability as well. We're having a lot of improvements now within the technology. So there's no real concerns around scalability anymore as we had seen in the past. Um, and in terms of, you know, regulations, we see that, you know, uh, there are a lot of enterprise level solutions can support privacy um, and that uh, really are compliant with things like HIPAA and GDPR uh, within Europe. Um, so just to really uh, sum up, you know, the things that we've been, the, the things that I've, you know, been discussing today, I think it's really important to, uh, to really understand uh, how, you know, value-based approaches within healthcare are really, really critical. Um, it's all about looking at the holistic approach as well, um, looking at sustainability of not just procurement, um, but also looking at long-term results, long-term quality of life, uh, focusing on promoting innovation within healthcare. Um, you know, we don't want to just reduce expenditure uh, on 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 healthcare technologies, drugs and devices, and stunt innovation. What we want to do is reward quality and reward efficiency and reward good efficacy. So manufacturers are encouraged to innovate. Um, and, and it's not just about cost savings, it's about rewarding uh, what is good and paying more for what is good and paying less for what is not good. Um, and, and I think just by focusing on that and, and starting to think in that way, um, healthcare systems around the world will, will benefit from this. Um, so thank you. Uh, for listening to my talk i hope it was very informative i think there was a lot of information shared um and uh, i i hope you all benefit from this um there's no right or wrong way to do value-based healthcare i think it's about starting measuring and improving so thank you